Thursday Finance. And today, Stephen Pritchard joins us and uh, he'll be bringing us a market snapshot with Henry Jennings. He'll also be talking about buying and selling a business with business broker John O'Connor. Stephen Pritchard, the budget is coming up uh, next uh, next month. And uh, do you think there are going to be any new taxes brought in in it? Well, the Treasurer did say yesterday that there'd be no new taxes introduced in the budget, but what he didn't say was um, qualify whether there would be any increase in levies or surcharges, which on past experience they've claimed um, those things aren't a tax. So what's the difference between levies and surcharges, and, or is that far too complicated and we won't go into that now? Well, I don't think that's ever been explained. Okay. Okay. But people who are paying them still think they're a tax. Right. So I always think of tax as being on income, but of course that's income tax. There's income tax, there's land tax, there's um, goods and services goods and tax, services tax uh, payroll tax. Right. Uh, and one of the states are threatening to, uh, I think it's South Australia, threatening to reintroduce financial institution duty, which okay. was abolished in 2000 when GST came in. But that wouldn't be a tax because it's a duty. Probably uh, okay. correct. <laughs> All right. So, uh, meanwhile, what's been happening with uh, commodities at this stage? Well, lots of red ink over the last week. Um, the gold price is down 1% to uh, 1554 dollars The silver price is also down to $21 an ounce. And uh, the copper price is down half a percent and the nickel is surprisingly up 1%. So does that mean bad news for our exporters? Oh, I don't think it means anything, to be honest. It's okay. just short-term trading fluctuations. But the trend in nickel is down. I mean, in, a month ago it was $1,800 a tonne, and now it's $1,600 a tonne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the industrial minerals are trending down, which is a sign of weakening, weakening economic activity around the world. Mm, okay. And of course, our dollar has a response. There's lots of red ink this week. It's down um, quarter of a percent against the US dollar, one percent against the British pound, um, half a percent against the euro, um, half a percent against the New Zealand dollar. So the Australian dollar continues to weaken against world currencies, mm-hmm. and that that's principally because of the the falling export revenue, in particular the the um, iron ore price, which now looks like. We were talking $45 a couple of weeks ago. It's now talked around 37 to $35. So the iron ore price continues to fall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not good for our miners. And the most important thing, Jane, of course, is the petrol price for you and me. Well, yeah, we notice that on a regular basis. Yes, yes. So it was it, the petrol price in Newcastle today, thanks to NRMA, was $1.33 a litre and in Sydney, it's $1.24 a litre. So we're back to the 10 cents a litre difference. Okay. Which no one can explain why. Mm, that's in normal fuel, car, uh, petrol or just normal diesel un- as Just well? normal unleaded. And diesel? in diesel, um, diesel in Newcastle, it's $1.34. And in Sydney, it's $1.28. So there's 6 cents a litre difference in diesel. Yes. So okay. there's a big difference in the, you know, you wouldn't have thought it cost 10 cents a litre to ship the fuel up the, uh, um, the pipeline between the two cities. But then they say living in Sydney is expensive, but obviously not quite so much as fuel, far as fuel goes. Yeah. Transport costs up here would be a lot more expensive than Sydney. Yes. So that's our currencies and commodities? Yes? Yes. Oh, uh, indices? What about those? How are they going? I would be oh, we talked about those? Uh, yeah, no, sorry. The Australian share market was down just on 1% for the week. 
Right. Yeah, so, so that's much the same. Much the same. Speaking. And the US market and the UK market were up about 1%. So mm. not much change in there. So and well. European? European. We don't have the European. We have the... Um, not the DAX or whatever. No, we don't have the DAX. Okay. We have the Hang Seng though. <laughs> Hang Seng, which is um, the Hong Kong market, which was up 5%. Basically, the, the Hong Kong and the Chinese mainland markets are going to record highs. Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners. And uh, Stephen Pritchard, we're talking to Henry Jennings now with our market snapshot. How are you there, Dan Henry? Um, good, thanks, Stephen. How are you? Good. Good. And how's Excellent. the market going today? Well, we're up um, 37 points, which is pretty much what we dropped yesterday. We were up um, slightly more than that, but the unemployment number that came out at 11.30 derailed um, the 50-plus point rally that we were having a little bit. Um, so we've come off the top. The Aussie dollar has uh, rallied into the mid-77s um, as the unemployment number came in pretty good. Oh, excellent. So, so I was in the car at 11.30, so, so was, was unemployment down, was it? Uh, unemployment was down to 6.1%, 37,000 new jobs created, a lot of those in full-time. Um, this, of course, is if you believe the ABS, which um, um, you've got to take these numbers with a bit of a grain of salt, but um, certainly uh, that was um, heartening for the market, which I guess takes the May rate cut potentially off the table, and it may be that the RBA was wise not to to uh, stoke the property bubble any more with another rate cut in um, in April. The RBA is always wise, they'll tell you that. You reckon? Oh, I'm sure they'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I think the market thinks they're wise. And, uh, <laughs> and um, of course, there was no increase in mining industry jobs in those numbers, 37,000, I assume. Uh, no, <laughs> there's definitely no increase in mining jobs. In fact, this week uh, we've seen Fortescue potentially lose um, around 700 uh, jobs um, as they change their roster. Um, so, um, yeah, there's certainly still more uh, more losses to come in mining as we as we transition, I guess, to the uh, to the new economy. And speaking of Fortescue, there's Western Australia, BHP, Rio and Fortescue have all been put on credit watch by uh, S&P because of the filing iron ore revenue. Um, they have indeed, yes. This is, um, I guess it's hardly um, surprising given the falls in the iron ore price. Um, but we have seen some glimmers of hope this week in the iron ore price. Joe Hockey seems to have called the bottom of iron ore by uh, suggesting that it could go to 35. It immediately bounced about 4% in the next couple of days after uh, Joe was so pessimistic. So um, maybe we have seen the worst of it, but um, there are still some, uh, some forecasters looking for prices in the 30s. Uh, the truth is, no one knows. It, they might as well stick a pin in a dartboard. Let's face it; they dress it up with pretty charts and uh, a bit of logic. But at the end of the day, it's just a guess. That's right. And so there's also a, a bit of a talk about BHP might have to cut its dividend, which which I don't think it's reduced since the Great Depression or something. Have no, well, BHP has what they call a progressive dividend policy, which means that um, they sort of progressively raise the dividends as they go along. Um, and much has been made out of um, BHP's progressive dividend policy in terms of, you know, the, the banks are yielding such good yields. Um, it was hard to look at resource stocks. So BHP, I guess, has been trying to address that, as has Rio's, in terms of rewarding shareholders, but also uh, pairing back their, um, their ongoing costs in terms of uh, exploration and future investment, which which I guess is is a little short-sighted because 
mining companies need to invest lots of money to ensure they have a stream of projects coming on board. So there has been some talk from one or two institutions that maybe BHP should look at uh, its dividend policy um, and not be quite so generous, but um, they've never been really regarded as that generous in the first place. Yeah, they haven't been regarded generous. I just can't understand why they just wouldn't reintroduce the dividend reinvestment plan. And, and those people who, who um, don't want... Um, the dividend can just reinvest in additional BHP shares, and, yep. and if they really want some money, they could under, get the DRP underwritten. Yep, exactly. So, so um, yeah, we'll, we'll see anyway. But you don't usually buy resource stocks for a yield, um, but they have been left out very much in the cold in recent years because um, they don't actually yield anything. Um, it wasn't long ago that you could buy um, all the, the four banks for 100 bucks, and you could buy Rio's BHP and uh, Fortescue for $100. And now um, you could um, easily buy Rio's BHP and Fortescue for well under 100 bucks. In fact, more like uh, $89, $90. So their banks have doubled. They've now over 200, and uh, the resource stocks have gone nowhere. That's an interesting way of looking at things, Henry. I like to keep it simple, Steve. Yes, I like to have a bucket of stocks. If you had a hundred bucks to spend on a bucket of stocks, you could have bought a hundred bucks worth of banks, and now it would cost you two hundred and ten dollars worth to oh, buy right. um, those four banks. So that's the Henry Jennings index. That is my index. Yep. And of course, with all, all these things going on at BHP, um, you know, with the spin out, with they're going to have the iron ore left, the the coal and the oil. Yeah. Um, th- these things are all depressed. Perhaps the South 32 is looking more and more like a better option each day. <laughs> Maybe that's the jewel in the crown as opposed to the iron ore and uh, coal assets and the oil assets. I guess, you know, at the end of the day, um, you'd like to think that we have seen potentially some of the worst um, damage being done in the oil and, um, and iron ore prices and even coal prices. So, um, But that remains to be seen. Time will tell. This is Thursday Finance on 2NURFM for our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners. It's 29 to 1. And Stephen Pritchard are in the middle of our market snapshot with Henry Jennings. And speaking of iron ore, someone's trying to organise a rescue for Atlas Iron by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the Thunderbirds, actually. Yes. Um, the uh, Iron, as, as I'm sure listeners will be aware, is one of the um, the second or even perhaps at the moment third tier iron ore producers that was riding the uh, the crest of the iron ore wave when things were good. And unfortunately, obviously, when things are bad, you do suffer. They have been in the trading halt for um, some time now, and they are looking as if they are going to cease all production. Um, one of the problems they have is all their suppliers, of course. Um, people like McAleese Transport um, are very dependent on uh, these contracts for their uh, their workforce remaining employed. So there are a number of these contractors trying to, uh, I guess, uh, help them out of their current difficulties with with their uh, with their banks and also with their um, mothballing of operations. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yes, and now for something that's uh, edible. Murray Goldman's proposing to raise some additional capital through a a, a trust structure. Mm. Well, that's a good good thing, I guess. Um, why not? I mean, agricultural uh, products are, um, are pretty much uh, pretty much quite sought after at the moment. They're looking at uh, a listing. They've got to get the farmers, obviously, to uh, to 
vote in terms of uh, in terms of listing, but it would allow them access to uh, to capital markets. So you know, it, it's a good thing. But it would be, I guess, it'd be a big change from the, the cooperative at the moment that they have got to uh, to a, a listed company, and that comes with some with some uh, issues, I guess, in terms of corporate governance, in terms of reporting. Sometimes it's uh, somewhat easier to. Um, to do stuff behind the scenes rather than in the public eye. Yeah, that's right. And of course, we saw how successful uh, investors in uh, Warrnambool were, so I would have thought this would be eagerly sought. Well, I would, I would think so. It, it's pretty hard to get, you know, exposure to agricultural products via the ASX these days. A lot of it is um, tied up with big institutional investors. A lot of the land, a lot of the, the, the big cattle stations are tied up with institutions. So it is quite hard to uh, to do that. So this might be a good opportunity. And then over at um, GPT and Suncorp, the uh, GPT managing or CEO seems to be playing chairs and going from um, property investment across to banking and insurance. Yeah, well, this this seems to be uh, a pretty good move, really, and the market seems to have taken it very much in its stride. Uh, Michael Coleman, who's been at the helm of GPT for about six years and has done a pretty good job there, is moving across to, to run Suncorp from Patrick Snowball. Um, and uh, I think the market's taken it all very sort of uh, with, with a bit of a ho-humness. Um, Michael Coleman was on the board of uh, Suncorp anyway, so he does know the business, and he has uh, suggested that there won't be any major changes. Um, so, you know, it's basically going to run itself and he'll take a lot of money home. Yeah, it's an interesting reaction to this compared to what happened at um, Ardent Leisure. Yeah, well, market doesn't like shocks. Um, I think this one was managed. The, tra- the transitions are always difficult to uh, to manage, and those companies that can succeed in manage managing market expectations and the whole transition period uh, tend to do quite well through this period. Um, and Ardent Leisure, obviously, one of those that didn't manage to uh, to transition itself particularly well. And just one thing to wrap up is that the China share markets appear to be at record highs as uh, people are abandoning their property investment and the construction numbers fall and go and play the share market in downtown Shanghai. Well, that's right. But having said that, I mean, our, our market is at a record yes. high. Um, you know, if you take uh, the accumulation, the accumulation index, which includes index uh, in, in, dividends, uh, we are soaring. Um, you know, as is the US, as is Germany, as is the UK, France. You know, mo- most markets at the moment are certainly uh, above their sort of 2007 pre-GFC highs. So, you know, China has had a massive, massive rally. It's doubled in 12 months. Uh, Hong Kong's had a massive rally as well. The, the uh, catalyst was uh, the link between the two markets being sort of the, the, the spigot being turned on in November, and it has been a, a massive, massive uh, boost for their market. How long it remains, um, we'll, we will see. This certainly it's not a cheap market, and it does feel a bit bubble-like, but um, it's, um, it may have more to run. Okay, well, thanks for that, Henry, and we'll um, see or talk to you next week. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers. Thanks. This is Thursday Finance, and we're looking at buying and selling a business, Stephen Pritchard. That's right. Um, we often get people who are thinking of retiring from the workforce or, or, or have um, uh, lost their job, um, particularly in, well, uh, Henry says unemployment's going down at the moment, but particularly in periods of rising unemployment, and they decide to go out and buy a business. So I thought we'd get um, John along today from um, Link Business Brokers to talk to us about um, various aspects of buying a business and um, we might start off with what should people look for when they're buying a business, John? 
I think uh, the most important things, Stephen, uh, customer service is paramount in today's marketplace. Um, it's a very competitive environment out there. And it's important we know ourselves as customers that the best way to get an understanding for a business is to put yourself in the shoes of the customers of that business. So to pop along and uh, avail yourself of the services, be at a cafe, sit down, have a cup of coffee, look at the way in which the business presents, get an understanding for how you feel and how you react as a customer. The chances are if you come away from that experience happy and comfortable, then you're likely to have a lot of good, loyal customers attaching themselves to that business. That's that's a pretty important thing. And the, the other key thing that I see really is um, the way in which the business manages and controls its cash flow. Cash flow is the lifeblood of every business, as we know. Um, and it's important that um, when we analyse the figures and look at uh, the way in which the business is performing, it's performing capably well in terms of sales, but importantly, the lifeblood cash is moving through the business. And that can be checked by yourselves and your accountants. And when, you, when you're looking at buying a business, is there any kind of specialist knowledge that someone needs? It's not as it's not as daunting as it might seem. And you, you raised a good point earlier. A lot of times, people come to us who are who've been displaced from employment, or they've always had a, a, a yearning to be um, out and running their own business. First, the first thing that is uh, that presents is the, the daunting task of all of the business registrations, all of the red tape that's involved in it. There's an element of that, but professional advisors can assist you through that process. The, the, the key things in running a business, I think, are customer skills. People skills are the most important things, as in most things. People do business with people they like and people they like to do business with. So if you're a good manager of customer relations, you get on well with people, you're a happy sort of person, and you're able to manage staff, that's important. Uh, the other area I would say would be a basic level of uh, administrative or record-keeping skills as well, because there's a bit of there's a bit of bookwork as we know with the with the tax department and with um, the various government entities that we deal with. And particularly in news agents, there's a lot of there's a lot of bookwork in processing returns and returns for um, Lotto and and and. Um, whatever else they sell. There's a, there's a lot of administration in that. It's, um, so, so if you don't like administration work, don't buy a news agency. Yeah, and if you don't like getting up at 3.30 in the morning and delivering papers, make sure you buy a news agency with no paper run. Yes, yeah, so that would be no good for me. <laughs> and so, so what role does a solicitor play when you're, you're buying or selling a, a business? The... The, the process of purchasing a business when, when the, the buyer and the seller agree on a price and terms for the acquisition of the business, this, um, what's produced then is what's called a, a heads of agreement, which is basically a single page document which details the price, the time it'll be paid over um, and various terms that attach to the contract. That contract then goes off to your solicitor. On the, on the vendor side, this, uh, the vendor solicitor prepares the contract which summarises that heads of agreement. And on the purchaser side, importantly, um, they, they provide an overview service where they review the, con- the contract that's been provided by the vendor and protect the interest of the potential purchaser. And what about the, the lease and who's responsible if the premises are leased for making sure the lease is properly transferred and making sure it's got no unusual terms and conditions in? Who, who does all that? That's a, that's a very good point. Um, many of the transactions we're involved with at Link um, involve quite considerable negotiations on lease and leasehold arrangements. There's a lot of tricks and traps that sit within there. Um, particularly uh, retail leases that revolve around shopping centres. 
There are a lot of issues which talk about um, you know, a requirement to fit out a shop, when they have to be refurbished over a period of time, when you must operate, what days you operate. So it's very important that someone thoroughly review that lease. That, that is often the solicitor, but a skilled business broker or accountant will be able to sit and run through that, whoever is your trusted advisor. But there's, there's never, ever any... Um, there's never a, any uh, reason why the, the person purchasing shouldn't have a good long read of their lease themselves. It's not, they're not always as technical as they might seem. If you take the time, sometimes it's daunting, many pages, but sit down and have a read of them. This is Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. Buying and selling a business, so many people, especially later on in their careers, would think of, of buying a business. We've been talking about that with business broker John O'Connor. And we're just finishing off on um, what a solicitor, what role a solicitor does and what role, more importantly, does a business broker do? Mm. The, the business broker, of course, is a very crucial role in this whole process, Stephen. They, uh, they, act, as the, they act only on the sale of the vendor. So they are the uh, they are an, an, an advocate. They market. They list the property. They conduct initially conduct an appraisal of the underlying value of the property, assess the time it will take to sell that business, and determine the right marketing strategy for sale of the business. Then, once they market, they act as a liaison between the vendor and the purchaser, working with the purchaser to try and um, often sitting with a purchaser to determine exactly what will meet their needs for the for the future and matching them with the very best business that's available at the time. And, and so, so the, the buyer has to be aware that the, the, the business broker is acting for the vendor, just just like a real estate. Abs- absolutely yeah. true. Now, the, and, a, and a good broker will make that clear up front. Whilst they're there to assist all parties, they are being paid ultimately by the vendor. The, the, the broker will at all stage act in good faith, um, full, full access to all information and give their very best endeavours to give the, the very most perfect information to a buyer to allow them to make a decision, but the buyer has to be careful of that relationship. So if I wanted to buy a business, could I just, just as a buyer, just come along to you anyhow and say, what have you got for sale, John? Yes, yeah, and, that, and that does happen. Um, we sit down and we do a consultation with a potential buyer, look at uh, the finance where they are, but more importantly, look at their individual skills and to try and match them with a business from which they'll be successful and happy in the future with. Yeah, so is there any types of businesses that are better than others? I think often... Uh, the most important thing in purchasing a business is to purchase a business that you can feel you have a passion for the service that's provided. Excellence in customer service is the most important aspect of all business, be it accounting, financial planning, whatever else. Um, having that real passion for providing excellent service to a customer is important. And if you have some skills that swing around your ability to provide that service, that will assist you as well. So if, if you don't like getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you wouldn't buy a, a newspaper business with a, a, a newspaper run, would you? Absolutely right. And I, I see situations where a person will come in and they have a view on, um, you know, they, they've enjoyed sitting on one side of the counter and drinking cappuccinos in the morning, but it's another matter altogether to go in there and work seven days a week or all sorts of hours and continue with a happy, smiling face and providing excellent service ongoing. And so in the, in the local area where, where you kind of work, what, what type of price range would you see people wanting to buy a business for? In the main, a, a person, there's a clear distinction between a person wanting to um, acquire a position of self-employment 
So uh, that may well be uh, some sort of franchise arrangement where they're uh, mowing lawns, cleaning windows, that style of thing. That's self-employment and, and not a business as such. The price tags with those generally range between about thirty-five and seventy thousand dollars, and that's likely to provide a person with an income of um, you know forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. But when a person buys a business, a business is really defined as an entity which can operate when you're there or if you're not there. And then we start to value the business based on the return that we can get from the investment that we make. So businesses of that magnitude often sell between you know, 300000 and $2 and $3 million. Yeah, so there are quite some large businesses in this region. There's, there's some surprisingly large, surprisingly large businesses in this area. We, we, we often list businesses with price tags between 5 and $10 million in this area. It's a very vibrant business community in Newcastle. Okay, and just one other question on on that price tag we're talking about. Does it does that include the the premises, or would they generally be leased of someone else? Generally, they're leased from others, and and that's um, when people ask me the questions as to whether they should um, purchase the freehold at the same time. I, I, I my preference is not to go down that path because it ties up a lot of money in a single investment with the property and the business. Better to take a lease with an option to potentially be able to purchase the year in a in a couple of years' time once we know the business is trading successfully. Okay, well, thanks for that, John. I'm sure the uh, a lot of listeners had. Um found that interesting, particularly people who I know a lot of people think about buying business, particularly uh, cappuccino, people like cafes. People like cafes. Okay. So business broker John O'Connor, many thanks and many thanks Stephen Pritchard. That brings finance, Thursday finance to an end today and we'll be back next uh, Thursday after the one o'clock news. News is next and then Julian Campbell will be along with Business, the Law and You. On to a new RFM.